1: Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker. I'm the founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. We're located in Pewaukee, just east of Highway 164 and Capitol Drive, in that great big, beautiful town bank building. We're also in the village of Whitefish Bay in the Equitable Bank building, which is just right across the street from Weekies. And we're very fortunate, especially this type of time of the year when it's so cold, that we can um, service our clients in Bonita Springs, Florida. My guest today is Attorney Phil Rebers. He is with Kramer Malteff at Hammonds in Waukesha, and Phil and I have be, been friends for, oh my gosh, Phil, how how many years are you been on the radio? And we've been working together.
0: Yeah, I think it's around 17, 18 years now. So it's been yeah. good.
1: It's been a really great relationship. Phil works with myself and my family and our clients. And he's always helping us to look at strategies for our estate planning and everybody's life changes. Things, people get married, people get divorced, people pass away, people retire. Um, second marriages, there's always something happening new. And of course, there's always tax. And so as we are just starting in this new year of 2023, I thought it would be great for us just to sit down and review some of the traditional or typical um, things that you could do in your estate planning to protect yourself to protect your family. And also some of the things that are special that often people don't think about. And I'm just thinking about a a really good friend of mine whose mother um, became ill, fell and broke her hip. And then when they started working with the mom and dad, they realized that the father had so many different things going on in in his life as well. As a couple, they were really starting to fail quite rapidly. And then she has um, a family member and two family members that actually live with the parents. And now there's this big Um, process of how do we deal with parents going into a retirement community and the siblings that are living there. So we all have, we never know what's on somebody's plate. So with that in mind, Phil and I are going to talk about things that are on people's plates. And if it happens to be something that you're dealing with, maybe it'll help to give you some insight and some clarity. So Phil, welcome to the show. Thank you. That was a great big long introduction, but as you and I know, we're constantly working with clients to determine how we can help them to put an estate in place that's really um, written and developed for them. So maybe where we could just start is the, some of the basics of uh, estate planning. And one of the things that I always say is that a lot of times people will say, "Well, you know, I don't have an estate plan, and I don't need an estate plan," and I'll say, well, you do have an estate plan. You've got one that either the government's going to put in place for you, or one that you're going to put in place for yourself. So maybe we'll just kick off right there.
0: Yeah, no, I think that you know brings up a good point because you know the government does have um, a self-imposed um, plan, um, and that's all part of statute. It, it's under the intestate laws, and essentially what it says that it is, you have nothing in place. Um, then what it, what's going to happen is it's going to go to your natural heirs. And, and that can be a lot of different things. I mean, it would be your spouse would usually be first. But if you have children from another marriage, another relationship, um, that spouse may not always be first. And so there's kind of a blended where the children get some, you know, the spouse gets some. So again, if you need to make sure that, you know, your sp- you know you're in a blended family, a second marriage, and you you need to make sure that you know your spouse receives the home, has the home for at least a period of time, those sorts of things, um, then what you wanna do is you wanna get an estate plan in place because if not, the government's just gonna divide it. It's not necessarily 50-50, but um, it, 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 sounds, it, it sounds a whole lot like that where 50% of it would go to the spouse and 50% of it may go to your children. And so if that's not what you want, um, then you want to change that, but again, that's in a blended family, um, in a you know a first marriage situation where all the children are from the same marriage. Then everything's just going to go to your spouse, and then everything's going to go down um, to the children. But part of the problem when it goes down to the children then is that the children are going to get that money no matter what age they are at. So a lot of times, what we have is you know if somebody dies early, um, and maybe they're not married and they have children and their children are 12 or 13 years old, that money goes down to their children. And then what you usually have to do is go through a guardianship um, with the court procedures. So that takes um, a few thousand dollars and a few months and a lot of time and hassle to get that in place for the kids. Um, and then the kids end up with the money at age 18, which is not usually a good scenario, at least I don't think that's a scenario you usually like. Right, Karen?
1: Right. Well, you know what happens to Phil a lot, a lot is that I'll sit down with clients, particularly young clients that are starting out, they'll say, well, I don't have a large enough estate, or I don't really have to worry about an estate plan, but they forget very often that they have money if they're working, they often have insurance as associated with working, they may have a, the ability to inherit money down the road. And there's also the issue for young people, if they have children, if you know what's going to happen. So this whole coming together. And the other thing is a lot of people these days, young and old live together and and choose not to get married. So maybe we could talk about some of those situations.
0: Well, and, and that's an interesting situation too. You could have somebody that's been you know, married only six months and the laws are going to be totally different than someone that's been married for 15 or 20 years and that and they've been living together, um, but they're not married because under Wisconsin law, if you're not married, you really have no rights um, at all. Um, we don't have common law marriage in the state. And so if you want to protect that person that you've been living with, um, again, that they have the ability to live in the home, um, that they have the ability to get some assets, then you want to put that in place.
1: Because basically, if you are living together, and you pass away, your estate, whether you have an, a, a, an estate plan or not, is going to go what you said to the their next of kin, which might be their mother, dad, or a brother or sister, and they're the ones that are going to step in and inherit that entire property, and could literally kick up that person.
0: No, and that, that would absolutely be the case. And so, especially in those unique situations, you want to make sure that they have, you know, protection in place. And you know, a lot of times we get it where you have a younger couple. They're just married, they don't have any children. Um, and it's still important that they have documents you know put together but ne- they may not necessarily need a trust at that point in time or anything complicated because they, they, maybe the law works the right way, right If one of them dies, everything goes to each other or they can handle all of their transfers by beneficiary designations. They buy their house and joint title so that if one of them dies, it automatically goes to each other. they name, Beneficiary designations on their retirement accounts, and they have a joint bank account that, if one of them dies, it goes to each other. And so then it's not so critical that they have a will and trust in place, um, you know. And but again, that's kind of a new couple, no children. Um, but it it turn it's a lot different than if you guys are together and you're not married, because the laws are totally different. As you indicate, everything would go to next of kin, which could be your parents or your brothers and sisters. They may not be as generous with your partner as you would have wanted to be. And so what you need to do is you need to make sure that you have that in place, either through beneficiary designations on some of your accounts, or by getting a will or trust in place and getting everything pointed to get the right way.
1: Why is it important, Phil, for a young couple who has children or just has their first baby Why is it important that they put estate planning documents in place? I also would say that it is truly important that they have some life insurance in place in the event that one of them passes away. But can you talk a little bit about that young family and the importance of the documents?
0: Well, kind of getting back to what we were touching on before. If you you don't have any documents in place and something happens to the both of you, then and the assets go down to your children, you know, it, whether they're eight years old, ten years old, twelve years old. Those assets are going to go down to the children, and if you don't have a, an estate plan in place, then what it's going what the court's going to require is that there be a guardianship set up for them, and so that it's going to have to go through this somewhat complicated and expensive court process to get someone named to oversee their money, and then what they're going to have to do. It's given accountings to the court what's happening, you know, with those monies every year. But then usually the worst thing is, is that when they turn 18, they're in control of their money. So, you know, let's take a young couple that maybe that they have, um, you know, maybe they don't have a lot of assets yet, but as you pointed out, they have life insurance or they should have life insurance. And then something happens to the both of them, and all of a sudden that child is going to inherit a half a million dollars at age 18 that's not usually a setup that you know we want we want to make sure that you know the kids get the money at a, a later age so they have time to mature and they're not running around with a bunch of money at age 18 where they can get themselves into problems utilize that money and then when they need it later on it's not there for them
1: and they make the choice that as to who they want to raise their children, who has the same values and the same um, idea of what's important in raising those children. And it might be that your child or children are going to go to a family member or someone else that has a really little house and might not have room for them. You may want to make some provisions. What are the types of things that young couples should be thinking about in terms of developing an estate plan?
0: Well, I, I think, you you know, you know, the critical one is who that they should go live with. Um, if they can come to a joint, you know, conclusion on that, um, and that person is, is good. Um, all, when, when, when the children go to live with someone that always does need to go through a court procedure. So even if you've named it in your document, it still needs to go through the court procedure and the court's going to determine what's in the best interest of the children. Now, they're gonna give a lot of deference to who the parents choose. And so if the parents can choose that ahead of time and they have an agreement on who that should be, um, the court's probably going to appoint that person unless you know something's happened in the interim. What it does is it eliminates that you could have competing families challenging who should be to able to take care of the kids. And again, you could get into a long drawn out court procedure where maybe you have one you know, family fighting to, to raise the children when that's not what the parents want. It's best very, you know, a a lot better if they can get their own wishes in um, and and make that happen rather than have um, the children go live with someone you wouldn't want to and have a fight about who they would go to as well then.
1: And so there's a lot of things that you can put into your documents, such as if you have money that's in a trust for the children that the family could take a vacation or they could add on to their house if need be. But you really get to define what you want and what you would do as a parent rather than having somebody make all those decisions for you. So I just want to encourage all my listeners out there who have children who you're now a grandma and a grandpa, uh make sure that you've asked your kids, you know, have you put an estate plan in place? And if they haven't because they didn't really recognize to do that, or maybe that can't afford it, what a great gift it is. And we have given, Phil has done tons of gifts for our clients who have really wanted to encourage their children to get an estate plan, to sit down with an attorney and to put things in place. It's really critical for a young family. It's critical for everybody in the way that you, because you're doing it for the people who you are leaving behind. It's really the a, a gift to them to have things in place. Phil, we're gonna take a quick break. And when we come back, let's talk about the um, scenario that my friend is dealing with, where she has family members living with the parents and looks like the parents are going to have to uh, go into a uh, retirement community. And also there are children that aren't living in the house. So how does that become fair? And with that, we'll be right back. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker. I'm the founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. My guest today is attorney Phil Remmers. He's with Kramer Moltoff and Hammes. If you would like to give him a call, he his number is 262-542-4278. And Phil does works with my family and with my company and our clients on estate planning. He also does um, business business law, and he um, works with real estate. So you pretty much got that covered, Phil, and I think I've covered all of it with you. <laughs> You've helped me on all of those fronts. Phil, what about, you know, something has changed a little bit with COVID. There was always that situation where a lot of kids lived with their parents and kind of hung around until they got kicked out. But with COVID, so many kids lost jobs, they didn't have money, that there's never been, been before the amount of kids who are living with their parents and then of course it got very comfortable after COVID and kids just kind of hung around and they stayed there. What happens in a family, what could happen potentially um, when some of the children live at home and get all these benefits and then all of a sudden a parent dies or both parents have to go into a retirement community and they're faced with this decision of where do these kids go? what's fair, what's not fair, Um, what are some of the situations that parents need to consider when they're trying to um, deal with this dilemma? And a lot of parents just say, you know what, I'm not going to worry about it. They can fight when I'm done, when I'm gone, but that isn't what we really generally want. We really want harmony and we want our kids to stay friends and stay close, not be disengaged and separated.
0: Yeah, it really depends on on the kids, and, and your scenario is kind of really a little bit all over the place, um, but it it really is best that, you know, the parents put something into place there, because if one of the children is living at home, maybe they're taking care of the parents, maybe, you know, they've just, it, it's become a comfortable situation, you know, for them to live at home, um, the parents really need to give some thought what is going to happen, because, you know, if they want that child to be able to live there for years after they die, then they need to put that in place. Um, we get the scenario a lot where, you know, the other kids think it's unfair that one of the you know kids has been living, you know, with the parents all these years, and so you know they really have no issue with stepping in after the parent is is gone. And then what they will do is you know say, hey, you need to move out of this house. You know, we're going to sell the house. We want to get our inheritance. So. If that's not what the parents want, then they need to put something like that in place where I'm going to give this child the right to live in this home for three years, five years, you know, forever after, you know, I die. And then you need to think about, well, what do they have to pay to stay in that home? Do Are they going to have to pay rent? Do they have to pay upkeep? Do they have to pay insurance? Does that money come out of, you know, other assets out of the estate or do you divide it up where this child gets the house and this child, you know, gets money to kind of help to offset it completely offset it, or at least partially offset it. So, you know, it's one of those places where it's just not a one size fits all. It really depends on what's your scenario, what you want, but what you need to do is you need to integrate that and get that in
1: place. I know that that situation has come up many times and Almost always, the parents will think, my kids, they know that their brother's been living in that house forever, and they're just going to let him live there. But that's not what all happens at the end. It, it's not. The kids want to get the inheritance, and they feel that they're do it, but also they don't want the person to stay there because they don't feel often that they can maintain the house. And even if that person can live in the house, they're worried that their asset is not going to stay um, valuable.
0: Yeah. I mean, th- you know, there's a lot of scenarios that come up. I mean, sometimes it does happen where they're like, you know what, Our brother or sister has been living in the house for years. You know, we're good with that. That's just the deal. And that sometimes happens, but I'd say even more often, you know, they feel like, well, no, I mean, they've already been living rent-free with the parents. We're not going to continue to let them live rent-free. And so we want to change either because we want our inheritance. We don't think it's fair. You know, we don't want them to get these extra benefits or they just feel like maybe that they're partially irresponsible and what they're going to do is they're going to create waste with that house. They're not going to maintain it. They're not going to insure it and something's going to happen, you know, over time. And so, again, just like when we talk about, you know, the lake scenario, when when somebody, you know, you have your kids inherit the lake property up north, you may want to have a plan in place. You also need a plan in place, you know, for... Your children that are living with you—that's really important. What I would also add to that is I think it's really important to talk about that too and discuss that with your kids. Um, not just put that plan into place. I think if everybody knows that's coming, um, it creates less conflict at the end. If you know all of a sudden you know people open up this trust document and it's like, wow, this child is going to get to live there for the next you know for the rest of their life, and I'm not going to get their inheritance that comes as a surprise to the other kids. It may seem easier not to have that discussion um, ahead of time that, you know, you don't have to go through the uncomfortability of having it, um, but it will create probably more issues later on if people don't know what's coming down the road.
1: Well, you know, and Phil, so often I have clients that have a lake house, and there's one child in Wisconsin that tends to go there a lot, and the other two live in different parts of the country, and they don't go there at all. And the father and mother says I don't ever want to sell that property and then right there again is handcuffing the family and it it does cause problems and I know that we love love our property that we have I have a lake house and I know I was for a while saying to my kids oh this is going to be an asset for the family to have forever you know and you know, one of my kids said, well, I don't know, we don't use it very much. You know, I don't know that I particularly want to own it with my siblings. But so I I don't think that you can handcuff your kids. And it's not even just in your documents. It's how you talk about the property, continuing to say, this is a family, you know, property, we're going to keep it in our family forever. That's what you might want. But it's maybe not what they want. And maybe they'd want to get their own family property.
0: No, and and that happens all the time. And again, I think that's why it's so important to have these discussions. That doesn't mean that you have to do what your children are asking to do or what they're wishing to do. I mean, in the end, it's it's your assets. You can set them up in, in a way that you know you feel is best and what's most comfortable. Um, but when they're when you're making long term choices and you're put pushing the family together, I think it does make sense to at least know what everybody's wish is. I mean, I, I, didn't think this would happen to myself, but you know, I have four children. Um, and now it appears, you know, two of them might be out of state forever. Um, one's dicey and we're hoping, you know, one stays, you know, you know, in Wisconsin, but we'll see. And so, yeah, when you're trying to keep these, you know, lake homes together, I mean, is it fair that someone down in Texas or Nashville, you know, where my you know boys are, You know, that they, you know, wanna keep up a lake home in Wisconsin. They may not wanna do that. They may not think that's fair. They'd rather cash out on their inheritance and go a different direction. But that puts a pinch on the other children, you know, as well. And so, again, to have that discussion, at least to get some insight, so maybe you can find some common ground. Maybe you can never find it. You just have to make the decision, and then you tell your kids, well, this is the decision we're making. You're just gonna have to live with this but i i always like to get all the information and then kind of make my decision from there
1: my guest today is attorney phil Remmers. we've been talking about some situations that are on people's plates that um that are difficult to deal with. So Phil, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, let's talk about those families that have special situations. For example, a parent who is ill uh, during your lifetime, you're taking care of that parent. You're doing all the extras, uh, paying for many things. What happens if you pass away? What about a child, a special needs child? So let's take a break and we come back. We'll talk about those special situations. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellen Becker. I'm the founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellen Becker Investment Group. If you would like to put a voice and a face together and know more about Ellen Becker Investment Group, please go to ellenbecker.com. You can also if you have children, one of the easy ways of sometimes open up a conversation is to share the show. You can go to ellenbecker.com and scroll down to money sense and you can send that off to a family member and say there's some really good information in here that might be beneficial or to a friend. My guest today is attorney Phil Remmers and as I've said earlier Phil is a friend we've worked together for a really long time working on estate planning so it's a comfortable conversation for us to be having today because I think all of the situations we're talking about at one time or another, we've dealt with our clients. And of course, we have so many people today that um, are aging, and as always, and having different issues that come up, and there's parents being taken care of by um, seniors as well. What are some of the things that we need to be looking at when we have these special situations of where we feel that we want to take care of that person even if something happens to us
0: um are we talking about taking care of your parents
1: parents it could be it could be that you know i i my parents are both deceased, but it could be that I go and visit my mom every day and I'm paying for extras because they don't have enough. I get their hair done. I do a lot of things for them over and above the money that they have coming in. What happens if that person that's providing those services passes away and there's no one there to step in and take right. care of that parent?
0: Yeah, th- again, this is a great reason that you know have an estate plan in place to have a will in. Um, you know, obviously, I think you and I, we're really more, we're really not will people, we're really trust people. Um, And just really briefly, you know, a trust really works the same as a will. It says how you want your assets to be distributed when something happens to you. It just doesn't need to go through probate. It doesn't have to go through a court procedure. So we spend a lot of, we save a lot of time, you know, money and hassle there. But once we start putting a trust in place, we have a lot of flexibility to do a lot of different things. For instance, um, if you, you know, the, the natural thing might be like, "Hey, if I pass away, of course my kids are going to get, you know, all the money." But it doesn't have to be like that. You know, what we can do is we could take ten percent of your assets, twenty percent of your assets, set up a side trust for your parents. Maybe one of your kids is in control of that, that they can use that to continue to provide these benefits to your parents and then whatever's left when you pass away then would flow down to your children just like the natural order would be but this way it's going to be you know whatever you leave them is going to be you know protected for them it's going to make sure that it's there for them it's going to make sure that it's protected you know from a nursing home um, and then it's also going to make sure that it goes down to your children you know once they pass away now hopefully everybody dies in the right order your parents die before you, and then you, and it will just go down to your children. But if not, you want to make sure that your parents are taken care of, and that's easy to do. Again, within this trust setup, just set up a little bit of a sub trust, a little side trust for the parents, and um, and then put somebody in charge of that to give them these little extras that you've been doing.
1: And, you know, Phil, another point to make there, too, is that if you do have a parent who is on some type of um, government assistance and you die and you don't have a will and your money goes to them, you could completely take them off of of that. And it's hard to get back on. So, you know, and, and if you have a friend, anyone that you would leave money to who is on some type of assistance, you don't generally want it to go outright to them.
0: No, you would, you would definitely want that to go into a trust. You know, if we know that it needs to be protected, we usually put that into a supplemental needs trust for them. Um, but even a traditional trust is probably going to provide significant benefits um, to try to you know protect it from a nursing home, um, as long as they're not in control of it themselves. So.
1: And you brought up the big word special needs. What if you have a special needs child? And I have a friend who has a special needs sister, that she doesn't feel that her parents will have enough financial resources to protect her sister that she sets something up for her sister. So a special need person in your life, child friend that you want to care for. What are the things that people should consider there?
0: Yeah, I mean, when we talk about trusts, I mean, a lot of times we talk about those, you know, when we're discussing, you you know, younger children, right? If they're 12, 15, 18 years old, they're not old enough to be in control of their own money. Maybe even if they're 25 or 30, they're not in control of their own money. So what we do is we set up a trust for them, put their inheritance into a trust, and have somebody else manage it. So with a supplemental needs trust or a special needs trust, we're doing the exact same thing Um, We're just, what we're doing is putting some extra protections in it. So again, if um, you wanted to leave some money, you know, for your sister who, you know, who's got some that needs to be protected or a child, it could be put into that supplemental needs trust. And then that money would be overseen by someone else, but it would be um, clearly protected so that if they were on governmental benefits or if they should need governmental benefits in the future, that those assets would not be counted, they would not be deemed to be eligible assets for determining whether they should go on benefits or not. So it's a great way to make sure that it's available, that somebody else is overseeing them for them, but that it's still going to be protected from them losing governmental benefits, which they're otherwise entitled.
1: Phil, what if you have a child or someone in your life that has a, a addiction issues, um, has problems where you know that if they inherited money from you, it would not, it could potentially harm them rather than help them. But yet you want to make sure that down the road that if anything happens and you're gone, that there's maybe money there for a roof over their head. There's right. something there to take care of them. How can parents, you know, that's a that's a tough, a tough question. And when we sit down with parents and clients, they talk about it. It really is hard because they want, they so desperately want to do the right thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. There's there's so many possibilities. Again, once you get into this trust, I mean, if we kind of imagine that we have. Kind of this base trust for the children, um, that it, you know, it's just overseeing that money until they get to 25 or 30 or whatever the you know the parents think is an appropriate age where their kids can be in control of their own money. We're not changing it much by doing the supplemental needs that we're just talking about. We just put a, a few different provisions in it, and we're not changing it as much when we have children with dependency issues. Maybe all what we're doing is we're just stretching the time limit so that somebody with dependency issues. Maybe normally if they you know didn't have these issues, they'd be in control of their own trust at age 30. Maybe now what we do is if they have dependency issues, <clears throat> we stretch that to age 50 or 60 or maybe never. you know that it'll be someone else that is going to oversee it. Maybe it's a brother or sister that comes with its own issues. Um, maybe it's <laughs> another maybe it's another family member or maybe it's a corporate trustee. But for all these years, someone else can oversee it. Now, again, you can build in lots of flexibility in here. And so that, that's the great thing about the trust. You know, maybe what you do is you leave that trustee, the ability to decide when the child, you know, that um, dependency issued child gets the money, um, that it's their full decision. Or maybe you put in some, you know, amounts, you say, well, they can at least have a 1000 every month, or they can have 2000 every month or a 1000 every two weeks. And then maybe every five years that they can have twenty thousand dollars for a car so again this can be really customized so it really falls into what you want to see happen so that it's not too generous that it's not too restrictive um but it, it, you know for every child it's it's going to be different
1: my guest today is attorney Phil Remmers he is with the firm Kramer Malthoff and Hamas and Waukesha. if you would like to reach out to him you can do that at 262. 262- 542-4278. And one of the things at the Ellen Becker Investment Group, that's where we start. We start with the foundation for each and one of our clients. And we, you know, you would think as an investment firm, we are looking at, okay, how do we invest the money? But we really do get curious. We want to help you put that plan in place if you have one we want to review it to make sure that it's exactly what you want and then we build your estate plan around what you want and so we really are proud to say that I think 95 percent and maybe it's even more than that um, have estate plans in place because that's really where we start our process again my my guest today is Phil Remmers. His number is 262-542-4278. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about those second marriages. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker. I'm the founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. My guest today is Phil Remmers. And Phil has been a guest many, many times talking about estate planning because it is such an important piece of the whole process of putting your plan, your financial plan, in place and if you are interested in contacting him you can do that by calling ellen becker investment group because we sit down with phil all the time or you can call him at his office at 262-542-4278 you know phil that's you alluded to it a little bit earlier in our first section but it's such an important piece as people are Losing a spouse they're by themselves. They decide that they either want to live together. um, They want to get married. Many people make that as a choice of getting married. Um, There's always issues with kids when that happens. Many times there's issues with kids. I would have to say that the most important thing that you can do. One of them is to talk to your kids about the plan. and. What your expectations are, find out what their expectations are. But one of the things that's also important, Phil, is putting it into your documents, having that conversation. And can you talk about some of the things that people can look at and consider when they're thinking about a second marriage later in life, or at any time for that matter?
0: Yeah. No. I mean, again, I think we just need to realize it. it's just building off that same base. We have trust for the kids, and those can be, you know, pretty. You know, traditional, you know, you just, it, it's being held to an age. We talk about supplemental needs trust um, and what we can, what we can do with that with dependency trust, but it works the same way for the spouse. I mean, once we have this trust in place, um we can make, we can make changes to really customize it pretty easily to do what you want. So, you know, if you're getting into, you know, if, if um you know, you're starting up, you know, a, a new marriage, especially a later in life marriage, you know, there are going to be protections that you're probably going to want for your own children. And so the best thing to do is you're going to need to sit down. Um, I try to to tell people like, talk about it ahead of time. What do you want to be able to provide? And, you know, a lot of people just say, listen, keep everything separate. We've got enough to take care of ourselves, but that's not always the case. You're like, you know, I want them to be able to be, um, I, I want to be able to provide for them. I want to make sure that they're, you know, taken care of. Um, And that's where we have a lot of tools to do it. A lot of people just think, well, we're stuck. If I die, I'm just gonna have to give my spouse my house and I'm just gonna have to hope that they give that back to my children or I'm gonna have to give certain assets to my spouse and I'm just gonna have to hope. But we don't have to do that. You know, the the scenario I always come up with is, well, listen, if you just transfer a million dollars over to your spouse and they die a few weeks later, that whole million dollars might go to their children rather than your children. How do you, you know, how does that feel to you? And they're like, well, that doesn't feel good at all. That doesn't seem fair, but I do want them to be taken care of for the next 20 years. I'm like, okay, but we don't need to distribute it outright to them. And what we can do is just like we had a, a trust for the children or the, the dependency issue child, you know, we can have a trust for that spouse and you can put certain assets into that trust. You put certain rules on when it can be used, how it gets used. Um, The million dollar question, the big question is always going to be, you know, is who's going to be in control of that trust? Is the spouse going to be in control of their own trust? Is one of your children going to be in control of it? Is the spouse and the child or is there going to be an outside member? And again, that's going to vary from family to family. But what you can do is get the right blend of um, provisions in it, the right blend of protections, all of that in there, just by talking through that and not coming into it thinking, there's only one way to do that there's hundreds thousands of ways that can be done we just need to kind of explore that a little bit and then implement that
1: and they could look at a marital property agreement
0: yeah um, you know they can look at you know it, it, what a marital property agreement would do is it would classify assets so that it's clear whose assets are whose generally if you're if you're going to negotiate that marital property agreement is either a pre nup or a post nup Usually, everybody would have to get their own attorneys you know, for that, um, but it does give a lot of clarity because, as, as we've run into a lot, marital property law can really make things confusing so that you say, well, hey, after we got married, we kept all of our assets separate. Well, that's not how marital property law works, um, that as you earn more income, as there's more money that comes in there that those what started out as individual accounts could become blended with marital assets. And then you've got kind of a co-mingled account where the attorneys, you know, really don't have any clarity on whose assets those are, that can create that can create issues later.
1: Well, I know I talked to someone just recently, and it was literally at a lunch, and someone was talking about what had happened to one of their friends, and it was that the dad had remarried and had really been married for quite some time, but never really addressed the the estate planning issue, and when he died, everything went to his wife, and everything went to her children, and literally not one thing came back to his children at all, not a memento, nothing, and. That is something that is really harmful in any family.
0: Yeah, and and, and that's the scenario that I hear a lot. I mean, sometimes people will be like, oh, you probably get a lot of good stories. And I'm like, yeah, I get a few here or there. But the one that comes up again and again and again is that one. I mean, I must hear that five or six times a year from clients <laughs> that, yep, my dad died Left everything to my mom. My mom got remarried and it all went to the new stepdad and we never got anything. Or, or you know, that in reverse. So that happens constantly. Um, and that's why you want, you know, you want to plan for that before you get married. How is this gonna work? Do you wanna protect your family? How are you going to protect them? Um, well, like I say, it's not enough just to say, well, listen, I have I have you know comfort in my spouse. That they're going to do the right thing, you know, later on. But things change. They don't have a relationship with your children after you're gone. Um, it could be 15, 20 years later. They don't remember that that where that money came from. There could be a, a a caregiver or the other spouses' children become involved in that process, and they're like, "Well, why are we giving money back to them? They don't remember what the deal was that was struck 20 years ago." And so it's better to just implement that through use of trust. And that way we we have some more surety that what's supposed to happen is going to happen.
1: Bill, when um, two people get married, let's say later in life, they're in their 60s or they're in their 70s and they remarry and they do have a trust in place and they feel that they've done everything they can to protect their assets. And then one of those, one of the spouses becomes ill, maybe it's memory loss, uh, Alzheimer's, or something like that. And they feel that they've done everything to protect their assets. And then they discover that they're completely responsible for the care of that spouse, even though they have a trusted place, that those trusts do not protect them against nursing home care or anything like that. Can you talk about what are some of the issues and just the awareness that people have to have around that
0: yeah um i'll talk more about the issues and the awareness than i'm <laughs> going to any good you know workarounds those um, some way the best workaround about it is just never to get married um, another workaround is if that comes up that a lot of people consider getting a divorce Um, But what happens is is you can have a marital property agreement, you could have a prenup agreement, you could keep your assets separate, you could, you know, have this agreement. um, But if one of the spouses, you know, goes into a nursing home, that that other, that nursing home spouse is not going to be eligible as as long as the other spouse has too much in assets. And that happens a lot. Um, And people will come to us and they'll be like, well, what can we do about it? And like, there's not a whole lot you know, that can be done about it at that point in time, um, other than kind of get a divorce, um, you know, to try to protect those. Usually what you do is you kind of work with the kids, you know, that maybe, you know, you use some of the money, you make sure that, you know, the children are using, you know, that the the nursing home spouses, children are using their assets, um, but you could really prevent them from, because you have your own assets, you could prevent them from being able to get governmental benefits from The nursing home, even if you've kept everything separate.
1: So it really is an important thing to sit down with your attorney and talk about the fact we are, we want to get married. Here's where we're at. Ask the question, what happens if I die? What happens if I get sick? What happens if I get incapacitated? So that you can make a decision about how you want to Um, Look at both of your estates. And so often, I find when I talk to someone, they'll say, well, we, we just didn't have an idea. They come to me and I'm in the same position. We really can't do a lot. Um, Our hands are tied at that point, because you, you are responsible for your spouse. Again, today, my guest is Phil Remmers. He is uh, an attorney with Kramer, Boltoff, and Hammes in Waukesha County. His phone number is 262-542-4278. And as always, I hope that I've made a difference in your personal and financial well-being. Before we plan, before we advise, before we invest, we always listen. Have a really great weekend. Bye-bye.